Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host Matt Landis and this is our NFL Week 12 condensed episode with just the picks, but it's a bit longer than most weekend episodes so far this season and that's because I was joined by a special guest, NFL handicapper Fabian Summer, also known as Suma. You can check out episode 91 released on Wednesday for our full conversation. That included an NFL midseason check-in. We also talked some beer and food pairings to get in the Thanksgiving spirit. But in this condensed episode, it's just the picks for week 12. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Let's dig into week 12 bets. If there's anything you're comfortable sharing, I feel pretty confident and kicking it off with that game between the Bucks and the Colts. Tampa Bay now up to a flat three-point favorite, and they were minus two and a half earlier in the week. I'm guessing you might have been part of that move up to the key number of three. Yes, uh, I played the Bucks yesterday at minus two and a half. Um, minus 120 was the consensus number. There were a, f- a few uh, minus two and a half flats, but yeah, I'm on the Bucks minus two and a half. I'm currently seeing... Minus three, minus one fifty in the Chris and flat at Pinnacle. I don't know whether that number could come back a little bit. Um, gun to my head at minus three, I would probably still um, rather take the Bucks than the Coles, but I really like getting that minus two and a half earlier. Um, I just think that it's a great matchup for the Buccaneers. Um, like I said earlier, I think that the Bucks are a tiny bit underrated right now. Um, and the Colts, after that big win at Buffalo, is, was probably one of the reasons why that line wasn't minus three to begin with. Um, the Colts have a decent, very decent run defense, but like I mentioned, that they have a shaky pass defense, and they struggle to generate a lot of pressure this year. So that's basically a, a nightmare matchup to go against Tom Brady, who can just sit in the pocket and distribute the ball to... Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and now uh, Rob Gronkowski. And on the other side, the Bills had a very big issue last week. I wasn't involved in the game, so this is completely expanding the game in hindsight. But the the, the the Bills actually came out with a very decent offensive approach. They started to get Josh Allen involved in the run game. They got him on the move. They they um, tried to come out with some explosive passes, which is exactly how you should attack that um, Colts defense. But the Bills got very unfortunate with with the game script. They had that that, that early um, turnover penalties, um, and then they had the issue that they didn't have their nose tackle star Lotto Lady, and they didn't have linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. So they had a lot of small bodies in the pocket against that elite. Um, Colts offensive line that were able that was able to run all over them. I think Castle Wentz had like 13 completions uh, in the whole game and they scored f- uh, 45 points. So it was just from start to finish a very unfortunate game, I would say, from the Bills. Completely credit to the Colts. They played one heck of a game. But I think this this week it's a completely different matchup against a Bucks defense that's likely getting Vita Vea back. And now you have a completely different matchup in the trenches. The Bucks are one of the best run defenses in the league. So that usual game plan from last week won't really work out well. And then you got 
Tom Brady on the other side, um, who should be able to drop a lot of points on their defense. And that will get the Colts out of their comfort zone where they cannot run the ball all the time and where Carson Wentz has to um, air it out to, to stay competitive in this game. And in that case, I will simply give the Bucks the edge here. And when you said earlier, gun to your head, you still like the Bucks at the minus three. Of course, the minus two and a half, highly preferable. Is it a case maybe where two and a half would be a full go? And if we're looking at three, yes, it's still a bet, but maybe something more in the range of three quarters of a unit? Yeah, I, I would probably say so. So I think yesterday, without uh, recent injury updates, I was at like minus three and a quarter. So minus 3.25 for the for the Bucks. So I would still have a little bit of value at the minus three, yes. Gotcha. And beyond that game, is there anything else in week 12 that's currently standing out to you? Um, I took the Atlanta Falcons today um, at Pickham. Um, it's currently minus one. That That is still a goal for me. Um, I just think that this line is a probably a major... I wouldn't say major, but it's some sort of overreaction, in my opinion, to recent Falcons results. I mean, two weeks ago, they got absolutely smoked by the Cowboys, who had Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, um, and were just steamrolling the Falcons, who lost uh, Cordero Patterson halfway through the game and just ran into a buzzsaw against one of the best teams in the league when healthy. Um, and then last week, they played against what looks to be a probably strong playoff contender in the AFC with the Patriots um, without Cordell Patterson. Um, and they basically only had one weapon that was Kyle Pitts that was taken out of the game. Um, the Patriots had a fantastic matchup with their defense where they were able to control the line of scrimmage. And um, they're also playing some really good pass defense right now. So the Falcons were, were not able to run the ball and they couldn't throw the ball. And that's what ultimately led to a shutout. Um, <clears throat> and this week, that's a completely different game. I mean, the Jacks are, in my opinion, a, still a very, very bad team. Um, and I think the, the Falcons are a slightly better team um, that should not be rated on the same level. I mean, I took it at, at Pickham. Whole field advantage is basically basically non-existent. So we were... Ba so. We, we were saying that the Falcons are basically an, an equal team to the Jaguars with most likely Cordero Patterson back. And that's just something where I disagreed with. The Jaguars' offense is completely broken. They just lost Jamal Agnew last year, who turned out to be one of their better playmakers in recent weeks. And last week, Lacron Treadwell played the second most snaps at wide receiver for the Jaguars. I mean, outside of Marvin Jones... There's just nothing that scares you when you face that Jaguars offense. And the Falcons still have AJ Terrell, who is one of the better cornerbacks this year. And even though the Falcons have a very soft defense, I just cannot trust the Jaguars offense to compete with um, Matt Ryan, Cal Pitts, and Cordero Patterson coming off a mini bye week. Um, and yeah, I think the, this number was a small overreaction to the Falcons completely sucking in, in recent games, but I still think they are the, they are the slightly better team than the Jaguars, and um, I would love to see them coming out with a win. 
I know when we spoke in the offseason, the Falcons were another team that you mentioned you were pretty high on entering the season, and that hasn't really come to fruition thus far. So when you look at a game like this, how do you, I guess, divorce those preseason expectations and try to look at this objectively, just where we sit in week 12 between these two teams? Or do you still hold on to some of that optimism from before the season that maybe hasn't shown yet, but you think could be showing for the Falcons moving forward? Yeah, so my prior on the Falcons going into the season was not correct. Um, I, I made some heavy adjustments on them uh, because they they were just simply not the team that I expected them to be. I mean, not having Kevin Ridley, one of the best receivers in the game, certainly doesn't help. But I also think that early in the season, their offense um, lacked, I would say, some creative play calling. I just couldn't believe or, or wasn't sure whether Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith are, are on the same page. Then it got a little bit better, uh, but it got only better against some bad teams like the Jets and the Dolphins. The Giants was a close win, etc. Um, in recent weeks, they got smoked by some good teams. So overall, I think that my assessment on the Falcons was not good and was certainly not the right one. Um, I also have um, Falcons, I think, over seven and a half wins from the preseason. And that's also going to be kind of tough. I mean, Jaguars, um, Lions, um, Saints, and the Panthers could be four games that they could potentially win. But they need to win all of those in order to um, get over seven and a half. Other than that, they have Buccaneers, 49ers, and Bills. That's going to be really tough. You, you probably need some um, sick injury luck in order to win those games straight up. Yeah, I hear you there. I think uh, I will also use this as a moment to dive into a few bets I'm looking at in week 12, if that's all right. Maybe get your take, if there is any anything that you feel like you could offer here. Um, first up, the early game on Thanksgiving. I know it's starting in an ideal time for you, more of an appetizer for those of us stateside, but a nice dinner time watch for you in Germany. Detroit hosting Chicago. Currently, those plus threes on Detroit still out there, although that ship appears to be sailing. It's already come down from three and a half, and it's looking like it might move in the direction of two and a half. But if somebody can get Detroit at plus three for a flat minus 110 or or even maybe up to minus 115, I feel pretty optimistic about that, just given the way I think these teams match up, especially if Akeem Hicks isn't a go. The Lions have been really run heavy lately. Um, I think that the market might be giving them a bit too much credit for Goff coming back. I mean, last week, I believe it was 3.3 yards per pass with Boyle against the Browns. And that was actually a week over week improvement over what Goff had done in his most recent game against Pittsburgh. So it, it's an ugly dog, but uh, seeing a little bit of value on my end on Detroit plus three, any look for you at this game, or is this just one that you're glad to watch because it's at a convenient time for you and, and that's about it? I will probably need to place any sort of money on that just uh, to have some fun watching that game. Uh, in all seriousness, um, I was leading Lions at plus three under the condition that Jared Goff would play. We will probably not know exactly until tomorrow. Um, um, they said that they lean towards him playing. He said he would be a game day d- decision. So we will probably won't know until tomorrow. I got to be honest. If it's Tim Boyle, <laughs> that's ugly, in my opinion. Um, 
I still think, despite Jared Goff playing not good at all this year, I still think that he he's a, a an upgrade over what uh, Tim Ball showed showed last week. I think we also cannot ignore the current situation with Matt Nagy. There were some rumors that he would uh, coach his last game for for the Lions. I think there were also some rumors that players are not really satisfied um, with with Matt Nagy. So that's definitely something to keep an eye, eye on and to consider on the, on a short week. I mean, this game looks like the prime spot for the Lions to get their only win of the season. Short week, Thanksgiving, home game. A decimated bear squad with some uh, coaching issues or coaching rumors. It looks like like a prime spot, but if it's really Tim Boyle, and oh, I don't, I don't think that, that I could um, um, stomach the Lions plus three with Tim Boyle. Yeah, I hear you there. I feel like the way the market's moving, especially at some of the leading books, like I don't know, a Circa or a Bookmaker, uh, Chris for those outside the U.S. Usually if I see this, it's a sign that somebody may know something and that it's probably going to be Goff. Um, so yeah, I, I see value on the Lions plus three under the assumption that we're getting Goff. If it's Boyle, then yeah, just go ahead and hopefully spend some time with family or friends or loved ones or have a good beer, open a good bottle of wine, regardless of the time of day. It's Thanksgiving and there may be better things to do than watch Andy Dalton versus Tim Boyle if that's the hand we're ultimately dealt. Yes, Next exactly. one I'm looking at for week 12 would be the Denver Broncos currently plus three minus one twenties do seem to be fairly widely available uh, against my chargers. I'm wearing my uh, chargers pajama pants as we record this, but not afraid to go against them when the betting board presents value. And I'm pretty tempted for Denver here. Curious for your thought, uh, something that stood out to me just yesterday, the chargers beat writer from the athletic Daniel Popper in defense of Joe Lombardi mentioned some pretty elite offensive numbers for the Chargers. I almost called them San Diego. Hopefully one day they'll get back there again. Um, but the Chargers offense, when it comes to DVOA and expected points added, looking pretty good. And to me, a glaring omission there would be that they fall outside the top 10 in real points scored when we look at a per play or even a per game basis. And I know that usually things regress toward what EPA tells us versus what a scoreboard might say any given week but I can't help but wondering if there's something missing the way Joe Lombardi is running this offense. So when it comes to the Chargers looking elite in terms of EPA and DVOA versus the scoreboard output that they've been producing, how do you reconcile that gap? Yeah, I think that there is a divide between the talent level of the offense, especially Justin Herbert and those receivers, and uh, and what Joe Lombardi is doing. I think that Joe Lombardi is taking away some of the explosiveness that the offense could execute by calling what I would say sometimes a a good old Drew Brees offense. So very often they don't try to be explosive enough because you have Mike Williams, who was one of the best deep receivers early in the season. You have Keenan Allen, who can can work on any route on the intermediate level. Jared Cook is solid. Donald Parham is solid. Austin Eckler in the short areas. So there could be a lot more opportunities to call more explosive passes on early downs, but so many times and so many drives, it was just those quick five, six yard outruns, stick routes over, over the middle and stuff like that. And I think that's what really the divide is or was for that offense uh, where Joe Lombardi just was not, 
I don't think whether he was not trusting his guys or whether he wanted to play a specific kind of offense, maybe more of that Drew Brees offense from 2016 to 2020. But so many times I think that they could orchestrate a lot more or, or, or a higher average depth of targets on early downs because on late downs, I mean, Justin Herbert is ridiculous. And I, I think that he's absolutely in the top five quarterback um, discussion right now already. But I feel like in so many games th this year, Joe Lombardi could have called a, a way better game on early downs to, to really um, highlight the strength of this offense. Yeah, and when it comes to this offense going up against that Denver defense, I recall Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense doing pretty well against more vanilla defensive schemes this season. The Eagles, a recent example that comes to mind. But against more nuanced defenses, I think of the Ravens and Patriots doing a lot to change their look after the snap, especially, that's given this offense some trouble. And Vic Fangio, a defensive mind, I mean, he was kind of Brandon Saley's mentor, so I got to think he has a trick or two up his sleeve to take on this offense. So that also has me giving Denver a bit more of a look here. And then situationally, something that um, I think might be worth at least something. I try not to think too hard from a situational standpoint, but the Chargers on a short week headed to elevation, taking on a Denver team at home, off the bye, only one road game since week seven. I know home field advantage is becoming a thing of the past, but when we stack up all that, I, I think it means at least a little something. Uh, again, ultimately, I'm a fan of the Chargers, but a field goal on the road in this setting uh, seems to overstate the gap between these two teams. So Denver plus three, minus 120, um, getting really close to pulling the trigger on um, and yeah, based on what you had to say about the Chargers offense, if they can't get that together, then it's going to be tough to bet on them getting any sort of margin against respectable teams. Yeah, I think that matchup-wise, the Chargers shouldn't have a lot of issues moving the ball because Bryce Callahan, their best um, cornerback, is still on still on IR. So Keenan Allen over the middle could have a very good game. Um, that. Denver front seven is still very decimated. Um, they cannot stop the run very well. So I think that the the Charters have enough quality on offense to to move the ball against their defense. But I'm a little bit concerned about their defense because the Charters defense has really been, I would say, falling apart quite a bit. Um, Little Joseph is, is on the COVID list. Jerry Tillery is still still on the COVID list. Asante Samuel is in the concussion protocol. Second concussion in four weeks. So the Broncos, I mean, they also have some offensive line injuries, but their receivers match up very well with the charter secondary. And the Broncos also tend to, to stay balanced and they want to run the ball. And the Chargers have one of the worst run defenses in the league. So I think... There are opportunities for the Broncos to move the ball, to keep the ball on the ground, um, match up well with the Charter secondary. And then I also believe that this could be a very competitive game and um, I'm certainly not rushing to bet the Charters here. Yeah, one more side I'd like to speak to and then I'll more quickly get through a teaser and a couple of props uh, that the audience will be more familiar with with the show's typical weekly format. Uh, that last side... It now has definitely lost some luster uh, with some news we got to start the morning here in the U.S., but I was pretty bullish on Minnesota plus three at San Francisco for even money, even some rogue three and a halfs out there. Uh, it looks like the market hasn't reacted too much yet. Yeah, still looks like 
plus three even money is the consensus number uh, to some pretty disturbing news about Everson Griffin, a really good pass rusher for the Vikings and uh, much bigger than football, just hope for the best for him as a person. But trying to compartmentalize and think about what he brings to the team, uh, also losing Dalvin Tomlinson uh, for this one. The Vikings defensive line going to be a bit shorthanded. I do think, though, they have a pretty good matchup offensively with Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson going into that San Francisco secondary that can be quite vulnerable. And just based on the way these teams have played recently, uh, I mean, last week, both teams got fortunate, I'd say. The Vikings minus 2.4 yards per play, and they still get the win over the Packers. The Niners fortunate in that they got to play Jacksonville, so they just had to do a little more than play a clean game, and they got a really big win. But a couple weeks ago, a very, I think, fair and convincing win for the Vikings against the Chargers, and the Niners had a pretty lopsided win over the Rams on the scoreboard, but those stats look pretty even. So it's tough for me to get around to the Niners being the clear better team, which this number is saying. So I think I still feel good, not as good, but maybe a reduced play with the recent news. Still on the Vikings at plus three for even money, if not maybe a plus three and a half for minus 115 or so. Any thoughts for you on this one? I know you said earlier that San Francisco is one of those teams that might be um, on its way up moving forward. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue in this game is that the Vikings could be down their full starting defensive line. Um, Everson Griffin, after what happened today, it's hard to believe that he will be in the lineup on Sunday. I also saw a tweet that, that the Vikings have signed, um, have signed an edge rusher from the Patriots practice squad. So that might be a sign that Everson Griffin will be indeed out. Um, Delvin Tomlinson is on the COVID list. Uh, Michael Pierce hasn't been playing for like six or seven weeks. Now he's still dealing with his injury. Daniel Hunter is already out. So this could be a defensive line for the Vikings that's full of backups against that 49ers offense that completely controls games at the line of scrimmage right now. And I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing the Vikings defense getting off the field very often in this game. So... Um, that's um, why I don't have a strong opinion either way um, on the spread. I'm I'm exactly neutral on the spread right now. Um, I also agree that the Vikings have a good offensive matchup. Um, Kirk Cousins has been very aggressive. The Niners' defense tends to be better against the run. And if, if the Niners score early, that might force the Vikings to be more aggressive and to maybe abandon the, their run-first approach a little bit. Mike Zimmer also mentioned that Kirk Cousins needs to stay aggressive and he really likes that and he, he also wouldn't care if Kirk throws an interception. Um, so I'm looking more into the over here. Um, I like the over quite a bit because the 49ers will be able to move the ball. Um, since George Kittle is back, that's a completely different offense. Um, has been over the course of course of the season and I just don't see how the Vikings can control anything at the line of scrimmage with their backup defensive line and yeah um, on the other side I think that um, San Francisco secondary can be beaten can be exploited and Kirk Cousins is playing I don't want to say MVP level but he's playing really really good right now Justin Jefferson is seeing 10 plus targets per game and they should really be able to move the ball through the air 
Yeah, well, hopefully with that outlook, there's plenty of room for this game to go over and for the Vikings to cover, so we can hope for the best for both of us on that one. Uh, one teaser, we'll I'll break this. down quickly here. Yes, um, I like uh, a look at Dallas. Let's see that line. Yeah, it's a, either a soft 7.5 or a heavily juiced 7. Let's call it Dallas, uh, taking them down to minus 1.5, hosting the Raiders in that second game on Thanksgiving, uh, pairing them with Miami plus 8, hosting Carolina. Both of these teasing through the key numbers of three and seven in either direction. For Dallas, one concern, of course, would be the skill players being out or limited. We know Cooper is out. Uh, I assumed Lamb would be out, but maybe uh, Jerry Jones is the Cowboys' independent neurologist because now we're getting reports that Lamb might actually play after suffering a concussion just a few days ago. So his status Mm -hmm. worth monitoring. But even without him, I, I like the Cowboys' chances here. Zeke banged up, but looking like he'll go as well. In the trenches, though, positive news, Tyron Smith looking like he'll make his return, so I like that a lot for the Cowboys. I'm willing to write off last week as a bit of an aberration. Four drops, only nine points off five drives inside the Chiefs' 30, so I feel comfortable asking Dallas to do a little more than win outright as the clearly superior team at home on Thanksgiving. And then on Sunday with Miami, again, largely a numbers grab, getting them up through a touchdown. A lot of hype still around Cam Newton's return, but this isn't the MVP Cam Newton. It's a feel-good story for the Panthers, but I don't think it changes their outlook that much moving forward. And this game has the lowest total on the board, currently 42. And that implies reduced variance, which is pretty much always a big plus when you're teasing a dog up through a touchdown. So I like pairing Miami plus eight with Dallas minus one and a half. Um, Any quick thoughts there on your end? Um, I laugh. A Cowboys teaser, uh, completely agree. Um, Miami, I, I can see a low-scoring game where Miami could potentially keep it close. Um, Panthers offensive line still in shambles. I think Cam Newton helps them. I think he's an upgrade over Sam Darnold. Um, I think that the running element from Cam Newton um, really elevates that offense to the next level because with Sam Darnold, they had nothing. I mean, he was basically one of, maybe one of the or the worst starting quarterback in the league. I think Cam Newton is an upgrade, but the Dolphins defense will also be able to attack that offensive line all day long. And then it will be a lot of dink and dunk to Christian McCaffrey against those blitzes. So I can see a low scoring game. And um, if uh, Miami keeps it within eight and, eight and a half points, that would not surprise me at all. Um, spread, I would probably tend to lean Panthers at minus two and a half because I think they are overall the better team and I don't really trust Tua against that Panthers defense. But um, teaser-wise, I, I think that this could be a very low-scoring game. I mean, the total is 42, so um, perfect for a wrong teaser leg and um, I, I really like that. Cool. Good to hear. We'll, uh, I'll also get to a couple of props. And if I sound a little bit hurried here, I know that uh, our mutual friend Ross McDowell, host of the NFL Early Value Podcast, or the Early Value NFL Podcast, uh, is going to be waiting for you pretty shortly here. So I want to respect your time, uh, but also try to squeeze as much of your insight into this Week 12 card as possible. Uh, one prop that I'm looking for on Thanksgiving Josh Allen rushing yards over. Um, I liked it a lot before Adam Chernoff had to go and move the market. He's been on the ultimate heater this week. Uh, he, I kind of sighed when I saw him release it at 31 and a half before it was widely available because now it looks like 35 and a half is about the best we can get. Um, I think that's, that's approaching my ceiling for this bet. But I like looking at Josh Allen over that number. 
because last week's Saints game was a big reminder for me that a strong run defense doesn't necessarily translate to mobile quarterbacks. I mean, the Eagles, if we exclude kneel downs at the end of the game, 244 yards rushing, more than five yards a carry, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns on the ground. And in the context of the Bills here, they can't afford not to be aggressive, trailing the Patriots in the AFC East now. And a lot of the you know dual threat quarterbacks, uh, it can come down to, is there a game where they're probably going to have a big lead and they can be pretty safe or do they need to be aggressive? I think Allen might need to take what he can get on the ground. The one call out here with the Bills being a clear favorite. I know uh, you made a wager on them early in the week before this number hit six. I think it went up to six and a half and now seems to be settling at the six. But that's saying the Bills should be a clear favorite here. And if Allen is in position to make a few kneel downs at the end of the game, those do count toward rushing yardage. I mean, just ask anybody who had Patrick Mahomes rushing yards numbers in that Super Bowl against the 49ers a couple years ago. So yeah, 35 and a half is, a, is about the ceiling of this wager. But in this matchup, I feel pretty good about that. Um, any thoughts on that? Or, or do you do much with props in general? I, I know primarily what I hear from you is sides and totals. I don't do, I don't do props um, uh, in general. Um, I think everything that you've said sounds very reasonable. Um, I mean, last week, the, the Bills offense had kind of the same matchup in the terms that the Colts are much better against the run and weaker against the pass. And I think on the first drive, they I think they had two or three designed runs for Josh Allen. So they really tried to get him on the move. And I would be surprised if we saw um, something completely different this week because that's really a way to attack that um, Saints defense. Um, try to hit explosive passes on early downs, avoid running uh, straight into a brick wall and get your quarterback on the move. I think that's a great recipe for success against the Saints. Cool. Yeah, and one more prop that is uh, kind of a staple on this show. Listeners probably saw it coming. Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I like that up to minus 150. And I kind of feel like numbers that some offshore books are hanging for this prop uh, in the minus 125 range. I feel like in a few years, we'll be looking back on that number for this kind of prop in games lined in the 50s, the same way that some more experienced bettors now look back on stale lines on parlay cards back in the day, because it just doesn't seem sustainable once enough bettors catch on. I think that we're kind of getting a steal in the minus 125 range to see a one-yard touchdown. Uh, from a pure math standpoint, again, highest total on the board now at 52 and a half. And from a matchup standpoint, I know the Bucks have that really stout run defense. Um, but the Colts with Jonathan Taylor have been good in short yardage. I'm hoping Quentin Nelson can bring something to the table in this one. We'll see how that goes. And for Tampa, Tom Brady, the master of the quarterback sneak. And he's also got some big end zone weapons if they need to throw from the one we've seen that time after time. Uh, so if either team's down in you know short yardage near the goal line, feel confident in their ability to convert. Goodbye. All right, and here's a rapid-fire recap of our bets for this week. Fabian on Tampa Bay, minus three at Indianapolis. Atlanta minus one at Jacksonville, and Minnesota-San Francisco over. Consensus currently 49, but a shopper can find 48 and a half. As I record this Wednesday afternoon Pacific time, just after wrapping up the conversation with Fabian, I'm on three sides. Detroit plus three hosting Chicago to kick off Thanksgiving, Denver plus three hosting the Chargers on Sunday, and Minnesota plus three at San Francisco. So hopefully three can be that magic number for us this weekend. One teaser for me this week, Dallas minus one and a half hosting Las Vegas in the second game on Thanksgiving, paired with Miami plus eight hosting Carolina on Sunday, and two props, 
Josh Allen over 35 and a half rush yards. Shop around, I am still seeing as good as 32 and a half available in the marketplace. And one more prop to round things out, Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards.